Welcome back to the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Lovell, back here on Monday with uh, thoughts on WWE Extreme Rules from Sunday night, which uh, was an interesting show, I think, to say the least. And most people are talking about the ending to it, which uh, we will probably spend most of this podcast on. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the other stuff on the show as well. But let's talk about that main event, which uh, featured Roman Reigns successfully defending the Universal Championship against the Demon, Finn Balor. And uh, the big spot, of course, that, that everyone's discussing was the the actual finish itself, which featured uh, sort of a, a very unique, I guess you could say, minus the red lighting, which we've seen before uh, in other iterations of characters in WWE. Um, you have the red light stuff starting. You have the music playing. And all of a sudden, um, the demon has risen, and it is a situation where, you know, demon goes on a bit of a an aggressive spree here, starts making his comeback, all the momentum is shifted to him, and then Balor comes off the top, or at least attempts to come off the top, the rope breaks, and he falls to the ground, that allows Roman Reigns uh, to finish things off from there and get the win to uh, successfully, once again, uh, retain his championship. A lot to uh, go into here, I think, when you look at just the finish itself. Um, let's start with this. I, I said it in the, the predictions, you know, I, I never, at any point, was there any thought that Finn Balor was going to win this match. I think that was probably the expectation for a lot of people, when you just look at sort of the trajectory of how things have gone with this Roman Reigns title run and knowing, which we mentioned this in the in the preview, knowing that they had already booked Roman Reigns versus Brock Lesnar for Saudi Arabia. The timing, as mentioned, was um, you know interesting. But they did that, and I think that immediately made it very clear that this was not going to be a possibility, even if, you know, I don't know that a lot of people would have thought that the Balor winning was a possibility before. They even announced that because we've just seen Roman Reigns become sort of this, you know, invincible character. And for some people, that's a good thing. For other people, I don't know exactly where they stand, but I've said it before. I probably stand on the side of I think it still has longevity to it, even though this reign is gone for a year plus. I still think there's so many different dynamics in play with this Reigns character. He's easily the most over thing in WWE. And, you know, I'm always curious at least to see what direction they're going to go in each and every time he has one of these sort of pay-per-view-esque matches. Like, you're just waiting to see, okay, what do they do next? Um, and I think now, you know, once the attention does turn to Reigns versus Lesnar, that's going to be my personal opinion on that as well. It's okay. Well, how do they how do they do this? How do they pull this off um, with with Reigns versus Lesnar? I we'll get more into that as we get closer to that show. But I just think that this is they are playing the long game, and we've seen that now, considering this reign has been for over a year. So when you look at it at that way, there there was never really a thought going into this match that Balor was going to win, but. They did give you some moments there of thought that, okay, hold on a second. Like, what what is happening here? Is this actually going to be something where all of a sudden they've just transformed this demon from a presentation standpoint to where, you know, it's not just 
you know, Balor making his comeback traditional in a traditional manner and then just going after Reigns and all of a sudden, okay, he can't do it. Reigns wins. There you go. They at least did it in a very, you know, unique manner. I will give them that. It was, um, it was interesting the way they did it. I don't think everyone was on board with it. Clearly the rope was not on board with the, uh, the plan there, but I mean, it's, I can't fault them for trying something different, I guess, because I, I think sometimes you know, we've been begging for a long time and we've, you know, sort of mentioned that on the podcast over the past, you know, several months, really just sort of the autopilot nature of WWE and just seemingly always going back to some of the same tropes, which I think we can talk about with another part of the show that, that we'll get into in a second. But I just feel like at least they, they did try something different. I don't think it landed with everyone. Um, I don't, I don't know exactly still where I stand on this. Um, just because, and I know that that's maybe, you know, well, you've got to have a, a strong opinion one way or the other. I think as always, it's where do they go next with this whole storyline and how they made Balor look by having him lose basically via a ring malfunction. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of the story you're presenting, but you would at least think that they're going to have something coming out of this that's going to, you know, certainly point you in a direction of who was, who was responsible for this, um, who was the person behind this whole ring breaking. Um, I don't necessarily know that, I mean, it's Vince McMahon. We, we've seen him go this route before. I don't think they're going to go towards, um, you know, the demon versus God storyline here, which we have seen Vince do that back in 2006 um, in his whole <laughs> debacle there with... Uh, everything he had with Vincent Shane against uh, Shawn Michaels and God. But um, I do think you're going to have something come out of this in terms of, look, we're going to find out who it is. And I assume you would think we're going to find out on SmackDown on Friday, even though that starts the draft and all this other stuff. I don't know. You know, do they send Balor to Raw? Is that a possibility? And maybe there's someone there you can point a finger towards? Or is it the scenario of where... Is Paul Heyman the one? Because as soon as you see it play out visually, the first thing I'm doing as I'm starting to see, you know, the smoke kind of basically cloud Balor to where you can't really see him uh, as much. I mean, sure, you could see the bottom part of him, I guess. But, you know, my first thought was to look towards Heyman. Like, what is Heyman doing? And I'm sure there's a way they could somehow explain this uh, to perhaps put the blame on Heyman, even if, you know, you're looking and there's really not a whole lot he can do in front of a an arena, uh, people who are watching him while all this is going on, perhaps, but maybe there's something to that. Um, may again, maybe there's just someone else. They, they point the the finger towards and we find out they're the person to blame here. And that sends Balor into his next program, because it's clear, like we know there's not really going to be a huge follow-up to this. Everything from this point on, um, is going to be building towards Reigns and Lesnar. And so that's where I think obviously it would make sense if Heyman somehow comes into play here. Um, or like we said, it could just be something where it's someone random and that sends Balor into his next program while, you know, all the attention for Reigns turns to Lesnar. I'm not sure which direction they'll go here. I think that's always a, you know, a hard guessing game to play with WWE. You don't really know what the, the fallout's going to be necessarily. But it is important that there be a fallout that is at least sensible because if not, and you have Balor, you know, come out of this, basically a guy who loses again, his biggest opportunity of his career via 
a rope malfunction and he doesn't really get anything out of that, then I think you've got a bigger problem. And that's where I think we look back at this and say, what on earth was the plan here, um, you know, to get out of this? Knowing that, again, I just there was never a thought in my mind that even they did tease it late and they made you, you know, they at least brought the crowd into it. And I will give them that. Sure, had Balor won this match, the roof would have went off the place. Um, and, and, you know, maybe there's something to that. But I just... You'd, I never had that sense that this was going to be a title change in any way, shape, or form, and it was all about how are they going to actually pull this off while perhaps protecting Balor, and you know, you're not really protecting Reigns in his title sense because you know he's probably winning this thing, but how are they going to protect the demon, basically, that part of Balor's character, and coming out of this, I, I you know, a lot of people aren't sure that they did that, and Again, I I get the the thinking that it was different. It was, you know, creative. Uh, I know the whole red light things uh, can give people some bad memories. Back to uh, specifically, we go back to that uh, Hell in a Cell match between Rollins and uh, the Fiend back in 2019, which we brought up before. In my opinion, one of the worst booked, high profile WWE matches probably in history. And I think Rollins actually talked about that. I would highly recommend checking that out. It was a really good, um, you know, session, uh, bro- broken skull sessions that he had with Austin, which came on after Extreme Rules. That was another really good one. I think those are always uh, very good. If you want to just read the written recap, you can find that over at the site as well, 41mania.com. We've got that over there. But I think overall, you know, when you bring out the red light, when you have all these sort of different presentation elements that add to your actual main event match, there are going to be traditionalists that are not going to be fans of it. And I just think that's always the risk you're going to run with some of that. But like we have, we have also mentioned too, I mean, these WWE pay-per-views outside of the big ones, you know, outside of your Royal Rumble, WrestleMania, SummerSlam, Survivor Series, Money in the Bank, I think to an extent now, it's it's sort of reached a a pretty higher tier level, and it certainly did this year, just being the circumstances and everything surrounding it. Um, but these other pay-per-viewers are really just, you know, they're they're beefed up television shows, and you know, there's always going to be these different elements, and and I think that that's the way you sort of look at it here with this. Um, it was a big moment, a big match for Finn Balor, and I just I'm more curious than anything of of where they go from here with this, because I think this is one you can look back on is if you don't book Balor and you don't book the demon coming out of this, you know, if you don't book it right, basically coming out of this match, then you run the risk of, okay, you did this kind of unique finish. Not everyone loved it, but, you know, you could make the case that, again, maybe for some people it worked because it was different. And that's not always a bad thing, uh, being being different in these types of things. When you've seen so many Roman, Ra- Roman Reigns matches now, uh, these Universal Championship matches, you've seen the same result with Reigns winning. You do kind of put yourself in a corner of having to come up with different ways to make it feel fresh. It felt fresh, like it felt different. Um, you know, different points in the match. I mean, Reigns putting the, the mask on to go you know, through the crowd and that kind of stuff. Like, those those are things we haven't necessarily seen, but the finish is everything, and it's the, the lasting image on the show was how things ended with that. Um, it has people talking. We always say that, too. If that is something that WWE goes for, um, that, you know, that's a, that's a win, I guess. It does have people talking, and 
I just I think it's a bigger a bigger question of where does this go from here? And I know we've said that before, right? We talked about that with the Becky Lynch Bianca Belair thing at SummerSlam. It was okay. What's next? And we'll get into that here in just a second uh, in terms of the actual first match they've had a normal match um, with them. But I think it's now the same thing with with Balor. I mean, you can't come out of this pay per view and make this just look like a very silly sort of incident that doesn't have these big, you know, repercussions for whoever was involved with this. Because I think is if you, if you somehow turn this towards Heyman, then you have to keep Balor involved somehow because, you know, otherwise you can't just say, okay, Paul Heyman did it. Reigns escaped. Now let's all of a sudden, you know, let's explain why, why Heyman did it to benefit Reigns versus Lesnar versus, you know, where does Balor fit into this equation? So, I I will say that I mean I you know I'm I'm interested to see what their response to this is going to be you know what is the next part of this story uh, because there there has to be one and there has to be one that's going to convince people that what they did in this main event just with this you know um, certainly uh, I I'm not sure what exactly I mean there was a split reaction I think that's the best thing you could look some people on social media loved it some people hated it um, again I, I think. For maybe the people that loved it, one of the reasons why is because it was a visual kind of cue that was different than anything you've seen. You know, you had the music playing, all this sort of. I mean, it was it was a very um, you know non WWE like thing, at least uh, in that particular setting, uh, with you know with a Reigns match. And I think you know for the people who hated it, as I mentioned, I mean, I think it's just a it's a traditionalist part of where, I mean, you, you have to. You have to at least be optimistic it's going to go somewhere, but at the same time, you do look at the track record and wonder, is it going to go somewhere, and is this going to be justified without making, you know, Balor look like a fool based on a rope break, and, you know, not not an actual, you know, usual rope break, an actual breaking of the ropes. Um, that That's where I think, you know, you're going to have some of the pessimism come into it, and, and I've said before, I, I understand that. Like, it's, you know, when you, you build up a track record, uh, that's what people have to go off of, and I think now it's what's the fallout on SmackDown? You know, does it turn into something, as we said earlier, where there's an obvious person to blame here? They just leave this open-ended story uh, with not a whole lot to it. Uh, That's where I think you'll have even more frustration come in with it. Uh, But if you don't want to be frustrated with uh, what you have going on below the waist, well, that's where our friends at Manscaped come in because support for 411 Wrestling is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. And uh, Manscaped offers those precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Uh, they just launched the fourth-generation trimmer, Lawnmower 4.0, and you can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped, and you can do it with this exclusive offer we keep talking about just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 411wrestling at manscaped.com. Uh, I keep saying it, one of the first people who's had a chance to try this lawnmower 4.0, still using it, and it's just, I mean, it just keeps blowing me away uh, by the performance, the details, everything that comes along with it. It's crafted to perfection, and uh, it's just got everything you need. I mean, it's got that cutting-edge ceramic blade to redeem the grooming accidents, and uh, it's got the advanced skin-safe technology, even more confident than ever when it comes to uh, shaving below the waist. It's got that multifunction on-off switch. Uh, that engages the travel lock. Great for people who like to travel. Got the 4000K LED spotlight, the on and off switch on that too. Needed if you need a more precise shave, you can't do any better than this spotlight here. And it's got the wireless charging. Uh, the new wireless charging system 
which helps the battery length last longer. So you can take your time because Manscaped has you covered. And uh, if you're still shaving your face and body with the same trimmer, you know where I'm going here. You're doing it all wrong. Boost your confidence with this new body trimmer with Manscaped. You can make me time the best time with a smooth shave and you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 401wrestling at manscaped.com. Use the best tools for the job and get 20% off and free shipping with the code 411wrestling at manscaped.com. It's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use that promo code 411wrestling. Unlock your confidence with a new Lawnmower 4.0 from Manscaped. So that's where things stand with Reigns and Balor. Um, you know, I think we know exactly where things are going with Reigns coming out of Extreme Rules. We don't yet know where things will head with Balor. Uh, that's going to be, I think, a very important part of uh, keeping the, the demon character as sort of a, a special uh, attraction you can use because uh, otherwise I don't think you want people's memory of the demon to be falling off the top rope after a rope break. Uh, but we'll find out more about where they're going to go with that hopefully, on SmackDown. But uh, as for the rest of the show, I really thought that overall it was a pretty pretty solid show. And I think what what helps us sometimes is, you know, when you have these these shows that don't, they're not 10, 12, 14 matches. You know, we, we saw that, you know, back in the day. And um, I just think that really it helps kind of have that more compact show that, again, this isn't SummerSlam, this isn't WrestleMania. Um, and you know, you build up what you can build up, but you have to focus on the stuff that's actually been built up. You're not just putting stuff on here just to put it on here. Although I guess you could say, uh, with the, the opener, you know, them deciding to put the six man tag on the show at the last minute. I mean, you know, it is what it is. I mean, you've got a, you've got a storyline at least going on with, you know, Biggie and Bobby Lashley and such. And I thought it was curious to, to have the finish they did to have Big E pin Bobby Lashley and then go straight into setting up the WWE title match that's going to kick off Raw on Monday. I thought that was at least, you know, kind of a curious move. I guess you know you're not going to pin Omos. That was not going to be a possibility. Um, I still think you probably could have put AJ in there somewhere, although that's a possibility too, I suppose, is, you know, after you get through this Big E Bobby Lashley thing, maybe you at some point in the near future, move to Big E and AJ Styles. Uh, maybe you don't want to, you know, make the pin there. But I, I think this is what we talk about sometimes in sort of book, booking yourself. And we're going to get to this in a second. Where you kind of book yourself in a match where there's really not a way out. So at least everybody gave you a way. I mean, they gave you a clean finish. And that's stuff we've, we've argued about before uh, with, you know, them not always giving you a clean finish. And they book matches without really having an answer for what the finish is going to be ahead of time. Um, so that that's the only thing I would say about this. Good match. I mean, it was, you know, certainly one of the best things on the show, I thought, uh, in terms of just, you know, you know what you're getting with, with these guys in the ring. Um, and I just think it was sort of, I don't know, it was a, a weird dynamic, I thought, to have Big E pin Lashley, and now Lashley gets his shot at the title again. Um, I, I don't know. This is just, that that's where, again, we say they're clearly starting to focus back on building these big matches for TV with Monday Night Football back, the AEW stuff, which we've discussed. They're clearly going for this, and that's why we're having, you know, an actual championship match to start the show on Monday night. I I can't even begin to predict which way they're going to go here. I can't imagine they're going to pull a title switch here. I just, I can't possibly think that's a, that's a realistic thing they could do, uh, but I guess you could say you never know. Uh, with this, but but I do think maybe that's why you had Biggie pin Lashley here is 
it just pisses Lashley off, Lashley off even more, and it gives him another shot at the championship, I suppose, because this would be, I guess it's traditional rematch, you know, since the triple threat uh, didn't really count. Uh, and, you know, coming off of, even though he's been in matches with Big E, he hasn't had his traditional rematch yet. So maybe that's why they had it. I, again, I don't know why you, you have that pinfall, but maybe they're saving AJ Styles as uh, someone, or I guess you could have flipped it here and, you know, had Styles, Lashley, and Omos win, and maybe you pin Xavier Woods or Kofi or something like that. I, I suppose that was possible, but I'm not going to argue about, you know, having a really good match like this. I think it's just, once again, where do they where do they go from here, and do they do anything um, wild with this, this Big E Lashley championship match on Monday? We'll find out. Uh, the SmackDown Tag Team Championship, she had the Usos retaining against the Street Profits. I thought this was another really good match. No surprise, given the uh, the parties involved. Um, and, you know, we said going in, I just didn't see a title change here. I thought the Usos would win to sort of keep the, you know, the championships in the bloodline. And now I think the big question, and, and I've seen others mention it, was how they've really played this up and the potential breakup with the Street Profits possibly down the road here, or not even that far down the road. Maybe we see that with the draft. We've always talked about Montez Ford's kind of being that potential breakout single star at some point. Um, maybe they've decided with the draft coming around, as we always know with the draft, this is certainly a possibility that they could always go this route. And I would not be shocked at all if they do the split here with the Street Profits, uh, perhaps, or maybe they just build it up, making you think they're going to pull off the split, uh, but they don't. Uh, any way you slice it, I mean, I don't think we should be surprised at this point when it comes to breaking up of tag teams. It's clear, you know, they're going to they're going to take who they want to take uh, when it comes to, you know, pulling out single stars where they can find them. And if it comes from a tag team, it comes from a tag team. And there's not a whole lot of thought that's going to go into it beyond that because you're trying to build new stars. And I think Montez Ford is a, you know, a potential superstar. And can they, can they get him to that point? Can they book him to that point? Um, we've seen him, you know, kind of put in these spots. He had that main event match with Reigns on SmackDown. I think it's going to be um, kind of fascinating to see what they do with these two in particular, because if all the focus is on Ford, you know, what happens with Dawkins if they do the split and they do the draft? Um, so at least there's also some intrigue there, but the the finish, never really in doubt. Uh, the Usos get the win. And uh, now I think the bigger question is um, not just what's next for the Usos, but, you know, Dawkins and Ford, what's what's next for them uh, coming going forward? Charlotte Flair and Alexa Bliss. Uh, Charlotte wins. Another one that uh, we said going in, just it seemed like this was the direction they were going to head in. I just did not see the title change, and uh, we laugh about WWE uh, not letting anyone win in their hometown. <laughs> well, the trend continues. Uh, we, we've seen some of those, but like I said, that's for the most part, uh, it is uh, just the way it is. And um, not only did Alexa lose in her hometown, but um, the destruction of Lily, uh, she had to witness that as well. So. No, I mean, they, they couldn't just let her lose. They had to destruct, you know, just take out everything that uh, she loved there uh, with this. No no Raw Women's title, no Lily. And so that's that. I don't know where they're going from here with Alexa. Um, you know, I'm sure this will lead to something with the whole Lily aspect of this. And uh, maybe we see, you know, the next chapter in this Alexa thing, maybe this sets up a rematch. Uh, we know that that's kind of a something that's always a possibility. Or, you know, maybe maybe Alexa switches brands. I'm I'm not exactly sure where they go from here with her, uh, but um, that is another question coming out of this for Charlotte. We know as the Raw Women's Champion, she's going to stay on Raw. Uh, maybe there are some fresh challengers uh, for her, considering that um, you know, well, if they keep Alexa, they can always do the rematch. But 
If not, um, you know, we know Rhea and Nikki, they're in a tag team. So where they go from that, I mean, Shayna, there's, there's a lot of different ways, I guess. But this is where, again, we can say all this, but with the draft coming up, there's really no prediction you can make fully right now just because you don't know where everyone's going to be at. So uh, that's the that's the issue you run into with trying to project what's going to happen coming out of this show uh, with that. So another match we had was Damian Priest uh, retaining the U.S. title against Jeff Hardy and Sheamus. Um, you know, I thought this was a solid match as expected. Uh, crowd was really into Jeff. Uh, Sheamus, <laughs> I thought Sheamus had the best part of the match where he's up top just mocking uh, Jeff Hardy. I've seen the jokes made on Twitter about uh, the reason the rope bro- broke in the uh, main events because it just was not going to take any more after Sheamus just completely taunted Jeff Hardy with his moves and mannerisms. I, I just thought Sheamus was great in this. Sheamus is one of those people, and we've said it before, I just don't think he gets enough credit for just how good he's been and just how consistent he's been over such a long period of time. Um, he just he just always delivers a good match. He's entertaining. Um, and you know, like we said, didn't think he was going to win here, but, uh, Priest gets the win. And, uh, now, you know, we enter the next chapter for Damian Priest. I think he is, uh, someone that, you know, for the most part in this match, I mean, Jeff was really over, said Seamus does his thing now for, for Priest, he gets another big win here. Now what's the next project for him? You know, what's the next thing they're going to set up, uh, for Damian Priest here moving forward. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's what they have to do coming out of this is build something strong and. Uh, I don't know. Like, I'm always interested. You know, I keep talking about Keith Lee. Maybe Keith Lee, that heel run, uh, Keith Bearcat Lee, uh, I guess they're they're using now. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing a a Keith Lee Damian Priest set up here. Maybe that's something that's possible. Uh, But there are other other ways you could go with Damian Priest, once again, depending on the draft with that. All right, SmackDown Women's Championship. Bianca Belair wins uh, via disqualification in 17 minutes and about 25 seconds or so. Here's here's the thing with this one, and um, we talked about it after SummerSlam. It was how was the follow-up going to be? We've said it. I think Becky, her character, personality, like she has the tools to be able to pull off like trying to play a heel. But there is just still a large portion of the crowd that does not want to boo Becky Lynch. And the, the, the good thing is, I think, is it wasn't, it isn't leading to anyone booing Bianca. I think that's the, that's the part of it. Like people can still cheer Becky Lynch, but maybe they're still cheering Bianca too. I know that doesn't necessarily come together uh, and work mathematically in a wrestling match, but there is at least that. Like, you're not having people turn on Bianca, and I think that is something that you have prevented to this point. And I think that's, that's a good thing. Uh, but... Still, I think to have a have this match in in the DQ on a pay per view, which, like we said, I mean, it is a pay per view in theory, but we've seen WWE do this before, uh, and it also goes back to booking a match that we talked about going into it. You know, on the on the preview episode, just didn't know how they were going to be able to get out of this with either one of them winning and it not necessarily feeling like the wrong move based on what they did at SummerSlam. Um, so that's that's a problem in the setup. Uh, you could have had Bianca win, but just did not see that happening after putting the title on Becky. Could have had Becky win, but what does that mean for Bianca? Like there was just there was very little way out of this from a clean finish standpoint, and and I don't think you know we look at the backlash. There was some backlash, but I think there was a ton of backlash to this because you at least if you weren't going to get a clean finish, you had to have something to sort of you know turn your attention elsewhere, and that's where having Sasha Banks come back and attack Bianca, and then of course also have an interaction there with Becky 
Um, that sets up undoubtedly potential triple threat between these three at some point. So I'm willing to give them sort of a pass on this um, because I just don't think when the match was set up, I talked about it like I, it was very hard to come up with a finish that was going to make sense for all parties involved here. Um, and I think that's where going back to SummerSlam, they sort of put themselves in that situation where I just don't think that they were going to be able to do this in the short term to, to pull this off. So you have Sasha come back. That adds another element to this. So now we see where it goes from here. Um, this is one where certainly we don't see, I mean, I really, I don't, I don't see any of these three switching brands. Obviously, Becky is the, the champion. She's not going anywhere. But you don't really see Bianca or Sasha switching here. I mean, I just don't think that's going to happen if they're setting this up. I mean, I suppose they could send Sasha to Raw, but I don't think so. I mean, you can't you can't send Bianca there, I don't think, just because you don't want to, you know, take her out of this feud now and just she just comes out with nothing. I just don't think that's a possibility either. So this is something we'll have moving forward with these three. Um, look, it's three of their top women stars, so you can't really complain about that. Uh, solid match up until the finish, just with, you know, I just think that it was what it was, and I think this is what you're going to get. You were not going to get a clean finish with this match, and I think we a lot of us knew that going in, which is how they booked it. So, uh, well, there you go. There are some thoughts on Extreme Rules. Uh, like I said, I, I thought... Wrestling-wise, it was a pretty good show. Um, you know, not one that you're going to look back on and say, well, that was just an awful pay-per-view unless you were someone who looked at that main event and just thought that the finish just was not good. And I think that, like I mentioned, I, I, I'm kind of in the middle there, I think, on the finish. I think that there were, there were parts of it, if you can explain it the right way, which is not always a confident um, expectation, but if you can explain it the right way, you can make it work. But um, you've really got to, I think, uh, go deep into a story here uh, to be able to come out of this making, you know, Finn Balor look good uh, just because you knew that Reigns was going to win and how they went about it was the big question. Um, so we'll see what happens. But I think overall, this was a fine show. This was not a not a hard watch, I don't think. It was a pretty easy watch. Um, and, and again, your, your mileage will vary based on probably what you thought of Becky Bianca and what you thought of the finish to the main event. Like that will probably be how you sort of look back on the show and define it, uh, with that one. So, uh, there's some thoughts on extreme roles. You can read all of our reviews over at 41mania.com. We've got several over there, written reviews. You can check those out on the site. And of course, all of our news columns and other reviews as well are over there. And, uh, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, any podcast app you use, search for 401 on wrestling. And uh, as always, uh, we'll have the link to the GoFundMe, the Larry Zonka's family in the show notes. Be sure to continue to share and contribute to that if you can. And uh, also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, you can check that out in the show notes uh, as well. And uh, everything else, 411mania.com. But uh, thanks as always for listening to the podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you next time here on the 411 on Wrestling Podcast.